We're going to read a couple of verses, the last two verses of Romans chapter 7, and then we'll get right into Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to God didn't subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so you see in verse 24, there was this absolute cry, Romans 7, 24. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of death? From this body of death. He had just gone over with us about how He was unable to do the right thing. But remember, in that portion, it was all about I, me, and my. 30 times in verses 14 through 25, 30 times he used the word I, 12 times me, 4 times my, 1 time myself. In chapter 8, he's going to tell us about the Spirit. So there's this real cry. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you haven't, in your Christian walk, been there to the point where you're like, is there any good in me? You'll get there. You'll get there. Now in verse 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This verse is like, like this is just the crescendo. This is This is it. There's no condemnation. No condemnation. If you are in Christ, if you've been saved, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's just powerful. Have you ever had this thought? And I know there's a bunch of you that have grown up in Christian homes and you were always told how wonderful you were and, uh, and, and you never went through this. But there's a large portion of the, of, of the world that goes through this. <clears throat> so if this has never been a thought of yours, just remember, this thought has probably gone through the mind of more than 25% of the people around you. If you ever have this thought, this world would just be a better place without me. I mean, why am I even here? Why am I even alive? And I see this because I work with young people. And they come to me. And this is a common cry. And I know it. Because I've experienced this myself. 
I mean, in this world, it just, it would really be better off without me. I've had fathers come to me and tell me that their 15-year-old daughters said that, that they're just going to finish this one project and then they're just going to, they're going to die. They're going to take their lives because the world would be a better place without them. There are so many people that struggle with this. And God comes and he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You come to Jesus and his life is wonderful. But you know, believers struggle with this too. Believers sometimes get this feeling like the world would be a better place without me. And God comes and he says, I do not condemn you. Just like the woman caught in adultery, he says, I don't, and nobody threw any stones? He says, no, no, nobody's here, Lord. He says, I don't condemn you either. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you really blow it in life, and one day you will, you'll think it'd just be better for me not to even be alive. And God says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a powerful verse. Mark this one. It can be your hope, your lifeline. Then he says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So back up in verse 24, he said, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body, from the body of this death? Who will set me free from the body of this death? He asked the question, and now he answers it. Three lines down. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. He said in verse 24, who will set me free? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life. So now he introduces a new term. We've not seen that term before. We've, we've seen the law, meaning the, the, the Old Testament Mosaic law. We've seen the law, the natural law, the natural law of life in this. But now he introduces the law of the spirit of life, he calls it. He says there's another law, and it is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What do I always tell you? Every good thing that God has comes through Jesus Christ. He is the most magnificent, the most glorious, the kindest, the most gentle. He is the best in every way. Everything good from God has come packaged in Jesus Christ. Everything. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who introduces to us the law of the spirit of life. It comes through Jesus. Remember, you can never praise Jesus enough. He's the best in everything, the best in every way. So kind, so good. You know, on these experiences where I've felt the, the, the world would be better off without me, I think back to the day that I got saved. And the presence of Jesus was so real in that room. It brings this enormous peace to me. I don't want to do anything to disappoint this one, this man, Jesus. I don't want to do anything to disappoint him. He says, the law of the spirit of life. He says, I grant you life. You may not feel like you want to live, and I speak to you, live. You might feel like your life is over, and I speak to you, life. 
It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, we just saw how Paul was unable to do the right thing when he was working in himself. And now in chapter 8, he introduces to us the Spirit. He says, this is the way you overcome sin. Remember, salvation is not a sham. It is a real thing. It is real. It is powerful. You have power over sin in Jesus Christ. For those of you who have the struggles that I have had in my life, the struggles of the mind in the sexual domain, I told you about my series on scriptural sexual ethics on my website. You just go to the audio files and you look up scriptural sexual ethics. You'll see it there. Six-part series. Learn how to do battle in the spirit against this feeling that for many people, the thought is, if, if I didn't have this lust, I wouldn't even be a normal man. I mean, I, I wouldn't be a normal human being. And you can see what a glorious thing it is to not have to bow down to that thing. Because this is real. The gospel that he shares with us is real. There is power over sin. So that you turn that whole thing around and you say, Lord, I thank you for the beauty of that woman. She's been made in the image of God. But may I never use her or abuse her for my own lustful gain. And boom, this power that comes through. If we would only learn to pray and ask. You know, I was just teaching this lesson in Luke chapter 18 about the blind man. The blind man kept crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Finally, Jesus said, what is it you want? You know, you can, we can complain and cry out all the time. And finally, Jesus says, what is it you want? He says, I want to regain my sight. I want, Lord, I want to regain my sight. That's it. He says, okay, boom. <clears throat> See, that's it. And the guy saw. If we would learn to ask of God, there is great, great victory in this. Great victory. And then he says, <clears throat> he says, verse 3, For what the law, this is law with a capital L, this means the Mosaic law, <clears throat> what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. For what the law could not do. Now, there was no problem with the law. There was no problem with the Mosaic law. In fact, the Old Testament tells us the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It was what the law had to work with. That's what the problem was. He clearly tells us the law, it's not the law that was bad. It's what the law had to work with. So he says, for what, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. It was us. The problem was human beings. The problem was the flesh. The flesh could not fulfill what God had. Fulfilling the 613 commandments was no problem for Jesus. He fulfilled them all. He fulfilled all 613 commandments. Even if a Jewish person wanted to fulfill them today, he or she could not. It's impossible. Because two-thirds of them revolve around the temple worship. 
So you could only fulfill a third of them anyway. And good luck with that. Uh, but but uh, Jesus did. Jesus was able to do it. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son. God did it. God did. God did it. God fulfilled it. He gives us the law, and we can't fulfill it. He says, okay, I'll take care of that for you. And he fulfills it. He fulfills it, how? In his son, Jesus. Jesus fulfills it. We fulfill the law through Jesus Christ. We are co-crucified with him. We are co-resurrected with him. Everything we have fulfilled the law with him. Everything we have done because of Jesus. Oh, thank Jesus. He has done it. He came and He fulfilled the law and He takes us with Him through this. God did send His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In the flesh, He stood there in the flesh and He condemned sin. Now, why couldn't God just stay in heaven and wave some magic wand and take wand and just take care of all of this. He took on flesh for a reason. Why would, would Jesus come and take on flesh? Why couldn't he just proclaim all of this and make it happen? Well, the Bible tells us why he took on flesh. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 11. Hebrews 2, verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. For this reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, he's the sanctifier, and those who are sanctified, us, are from one Father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call us brethren. Jesus calls us brethren. Jesus calls us his brethren. I mean, I like that. You know, my sister is kind of famous a little bit. And I like people to know that's my sister. You know, because I, I want to, I, I want some association with her. And, uh, uh, that's my sister. Jesus, he calls us brethren. I mean, this is what an honor. Saying, verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 2, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So Jesus does this. He starts proclaiming this. And and uh, so he's quoting from the book of Psalms. He says, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus sings praise in the midst of the congregation. We have one example of that. In, in, that I, that I can recall immediately, and that's in the, the Last Supper. It says they sang a hymn, and then they went out into the night. And, and, uh, um, and interestingly enough, it doesn't say that they took the cup, which they should have taken in closing it. They went out into the night. But Jesus did take of the cup when he was on the cross. He, he started that, he started that, uh, that Passover meal in the upper room, and he finished it on the cross. But it says they sang a hymn. Jesus liked to sing. Verse 13, And again, I will put my trust in him. Quoting from Isaiah, I will put my trust in him. 
And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. So Jesus then also calls us his children. I and the children whom God has given me. But I still haven't answered the question that I, that I posed. Why did Jesus have to take on flesh? Why did he do this? Why? It says, verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Because we are flesh and blood, he partook of it also. And I liken it to this. I have seen parents whose children have gone through chemotherapy. They're in the hospital. The child's hair falls out. What does the father do? What does the mother do? Often they shave their heads in solidarity with that child. You're going to lose your hair? I'm losing my hair right alongside of you. I've seen children do it on behalf of their grandfather. I've seen people do it in solidarity with one another. You're going to lose your hair? I'm going to lose my hair. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Look at how wonderful Jesus is. He doesn't just sit in heaven and give a command. He says, look, they share in this flesh and blood. In solidarity, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to come in flesh and blood. This is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. Imagine if you had a ministry. You had an inner city ministry, say. How many people in inner city ministry go and live under the same conditions as those people who live in the inner city? Rat-infested, crime-infested, roach-infested buildings, drug infestation, and raise their families there right alongside those living in the projects. How many people do? The vast majority of people that have inner city ministry don't live among them. Now we have examples of that in our church where Kirk Craig and his wife Amanda actually went, go and they live, I don't know if it's the third ward or the fifth ward where they live, they just put their home right there around all the other homes. And they live among them, the people that they're ministering to. That's really unusual. Most people don't do that. They live in a nice, comfortable place, and then they go and minister, and then they run right back. Or they go and spend $5,000 to fly to Africa to minister to a bunch of people, and then fly right back to their good home. That's what most people do. I'm not coming against them. I'm just saying that's what most people do. Jesus took on the flesh. That flesh that has a sinful appearance, that just reeks, he took it on. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus came to overcome the devil. Why did Jesus come? To overcome the devil. Oh, glorious Jesus. He came and he took on the devil for us. He might render powerless him who had power over death, that is the devil. He likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had power over death, that is the devil. And he took him on in the flesh. You know, we say, I'll, 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 I'll take you with one hand tied behind my back. Jesus said, I'll take you on devil in the flesh. 
I'll even come in the flesh and take you on. And that's what he did. That's what Jesus did. He is so wonderful. He is our savior. He is our hero in every way. Yeah, Jesus, (laughs) you get him. You take him on. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. This is the slavery he talks about in chapter 7. This slavery to sin. You are a slave to sin. If you do not know the Lord, you are a slave to sin. There's no other way around it. You're a slave to sin. He has offered a way of freedom to those who are in Christ. Verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 2. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. We are special. We are special. He doesn't do this for angels. You think, oh, he does this for everybody. No, he doesn't do this for angels. But he does it for the children of Abraham. You say, well, I'm not Jewish. I'm not a child of Abraham. Oh, yes, you are. If you be in Christ, look in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. If you be in faith, you are of the descendants of Abraham, he's speaking about. This very much applies to you. Again, in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be done in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not to those who are of the law, meaning not to those who are of Jewish origin, but also to those, he says, not only to those who are of the law, not just to those who are of Jewish origin, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations I have made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Jesus does this and he gives help to the children of Abraham. Oh, it is so good to know Jesus. It is so good to know Jesus. This is why he does this. So, in in, uh, in verse 3, he took on flesh in solidarity with us. That's why he did it. Jesus is so good. And then verse 3 of Romans chapter 8. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The requirement of the law. It was required that the law be fulfilled. It was required. This perfection was required in order to get to heaven. You had to fulfill the law. And it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It says, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. How is it fulfilled in us? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's because of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the law. He did it. He's the one who did this. And we don't have to walk in the flesh, but we can walk according to the Spirit. There is power over sin. Salvation is not a sham. This is what he's talking about. Not that we become sinlessly perfect, but there is power over sin. Verse 5, 
For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. You know, I had a a guy write to me this week, this past week, and he wrote me a long email. He used to work for me 20 years ago. He was a a postdoc in my lab 20 years ago. And uh, he went off, he went to work for several high-tech companies. Now he's working for a very large high-tech company, and he's become a partner uh, uh, in in their venture capital group. So he went from the science side more to the, the venture capital side. And he just got married, and he just had his first child. And I would say he is uh, probably in his late 40s, something like that, mid, mid-40s maybe. And he wrote to me, he said, you know, I want you to know, I learned so much in your group beyond just science. He was not a believer. He's not a believer now. But I think what he was talking about, what he was talking about in this, in this letter was this profound impact, this getting married and having a child has had upon his life. He always had the jet setting sort of lifestyle and, 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 uh, pretty girlfriends and no commitment and, and, uh, um, and now he had a child. And at the time he was in my group, I was, I was the same age that he is now, maybe even a little younger. And I had four children, two of them teenagers. And, uh, um, and so I was, you know, doing the professional role along with being the husband and the father and running out to ball games and doing all the things you have to do with kids and, 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 trying to help them with their homework and, and get them through science projects and not doing a very good job of it. And I, I mean, just, you know, all the funny things. I remember my son, Banny, came to me. He says he needed some insects. He needed insects. I said, you want insects? I'll get you insects. So I went to the, the, the dome light outside. You know, it's, I dumped them all in a plastic bag. I said, here, here's insects. So he went to school with these insects and all these kids started coming to school with these beautiful displays and the insects named and, <laughs> and our kid just had a bag full of insects. I mean, here I'm the science guy. I'm supposed to, you know, do a good job with this. I mean, so many, so many disasters I, I did. I mean, you just told me you wanted insects. How am I supposed to know you need a big board with lots of colorful things? Anyway, the teacher laughed and that was that. But, but, um, uh, you know, he's seeing that what I was experiencing was life. And what he was experiencing was not life. This is what the guy was talking about. There is so much good principle instruction that comes in the Bible. And young people, I see this all the time. They think they got the world by the tail and, you know, they're going to live this way and live that way. And I can just see their lives and I know what their lives are going to be like in 10 years. I know it. Not because I'm a prophet, but because I have all of these data points. You live that way, you're going to have a miserable life. You live that way, you're going to have broken homes, broken families, strings of broken children, if you try to live that way. The principles that God has laid down, these things that he's talking about, 
He says, those who live, in verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. These things will lead to death. This is what the Scriptures teach us. They lead to death. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Proverbs 3, verse 1 and 2, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. I mean, what a promise. This is not just a promise. This is the foundation of the earth. This is the foundation of the universe. When God says something, it's not just a promise. It means that the earth is established on that. It has to happen. When God's word goes forth, it cannot help but happen. The enemy can't stop it. The world will split in two before any one of these words doesn't happen. My son, look at the, it's just personal. He loves us. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. You want peace in life? God tells us how to have it. He tells us. You can have peace this way. The mindset on the flesh is death. You live that jet-setting, so-called fun-free life. It's going to be death to you. It's going to be death to you. And you're going to live like that for 20 years. And I'm glad he came around to see that there is so much more to life. And he's just experiencing this. And I wrote to him, I said, now that you have a child, I said, now you will... You want to come home from work so badly to see this child. When he's four months old, I said, his, he's going to see you come home from work. His arms are going to just start flailing. And it's like, look how excited this kid is to see me. Don't they do that? And it's like, I just want to get home and see my kid and, and, and see them get excited about me. I mean, there's just, and, and, uh, and then, I told him, I said, you're going to become a much better citizen. You're going to start caring about crime. You're going to start caring about street decadence. You're going to start caring about education, the educational system, and policing. You become much more interested in this world. And then I left him with this, and I said, if you ever want to hear about why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let me know, and I shall gladly tell you. But you know, there are principles here that are life, that are absolute life, that come only through Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It is life and peace. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. What I'm sharing with you today is your life. The mindset on the spirit is life. It is life. These truths are our life. The mindset on the spirit is life and it's peace. You want peace in your life? This is the way you get it. You set your mind on the things of God. You set your mind on his ways. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the mercies and the grace of God. 
You have been so good to us. Thank you, Lord, for all your mercy and all your grace. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word, that there is life in you. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers that are listening. Father, for the unbelievers, that they would come to know life in Jesus Christ and peace in Jesus Christ. Father, for they are slaves to sin and unable to rise out of that. And this very day, they would proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that he's risen from the dead. Oh, Father, draw them to Jesus, I pray. Draw them. And Father, for the believer, I pray that they would recognize all that has been done for them in Jesus Christ and never stop praising Jesus, constantly praising Jesus for every good thing that they see in their lives. And Lord, I pray that they would see what it means that you have walked in solidarity with us through the Spirit. Oh, Father, let them learn from this and let them walk in the ways of life. Lord, I pray that they would walk according to your way, the way of life and the way of peace. Glory be to your name, Lord God. Glory be to your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus forever and ever. Blessed be his name who has taken us with him through the fulfilling of the law, who has taken us with him through the crucifixion and into the resurrection. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because you are very, our very life. Life itself is in you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.